Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, we've been talking about the coronavirus, um, this cultural moment that the church lives in, and um, there's this wonderful article written here last week uh, called C.S. Lewis on the Coronavirus. Now, of course, Lewis died in 1963, but he lived through World War II and the age of the atomic bomb. So just listen to what he says here and replace the words atomic bomb with coronavirus. This is what he says, quote, In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why? as you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat at any night, or indeed as you're already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, of paralysis, of air raids, an age of railway accidents and motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madame, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of a painful and premature death to a world in which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point that must be made. The first action is to pull ourselves together. If we're gonna be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. Mm-hmm. Brother Russ, so we're flying solo in the studio today, so you got to fill up a lot of time. So our deepest <laughs> apologies to everybody. <laughs> how would you res- – how, how, do you think Lewis is right here? Yeah, the sense is and, – and this is actually what we, at least in somewhat, um, were looking at last week in, in our Sunday services of this idea of this is an opportunity for us as Christians to have such a profound witness to the world in which we live because we ought to live differently. And in the case of of the coronavirus, differently might actually mean we live as those that continue to live. Yes. Um, We don't huddle in fear. We we don't um, allow our anxiety to dictate um, how we how we go moment by moment and and like I've said before I, I'm not I'm not speaking about living recklessly 
Um, and I don't think Lewis was. No. I think what Lewis was saying is we, we continue to engage with life um, with a, a sure confidence that God is with us, um, that we engage in such a way that others around us are saying, wait a minute, what what's going on? There's a, it seems to be something different about how they are interacting with people. Um, we, we, our, our, our words should be full of hope, um, confidence, assurance, not in, in a, a silly, um, reckless bravado, but a, a quiet confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what undergirds that is God's presence. I'm not confident in myself. I'm confident because I know to whom I belong, mm-hmm. and I'm confident because I know who is with me. Yes. And I, I really think that that um, we have an example of that in, in the Gospels. I mean, you have this story in, in um, Matthew chapter 8, and Jesus is in this boat with his disciples, and a storm comes up. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea. And the, the language here is one of, of intensity. I mean, this is no small storm. This is um, earthquake type of, of language here. So the boat was being swamped by the waves. And Jesus is asleep. And sometimes that's how we feel in the midst of. And that's what the psalmist sometimes would, would cry out. God, why are you asleep? Yeah, I've got chaos going on in my life. And boy, it sure feels like you're not paying attention. Yes. I mean, the psalmist is so bold as to even say sometimes, wake up, God. Yeah. And so here we have a, a, an actual representation of how we sometimes feel. We're in life being swamped by the waves, and it feels like God is asleep. Here Jesus is asleep. And they went and woke him save, saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. It's interesting in, in Luke, and it will say, they ask him, Lord, don't you care? And that's quite a that's quite a comment, but that's sometimes how we feel. Yes. And he said to them, "Why are you afraid?" And when you step back from the story and you look at it and you go, "Well, of course they're afraid. They're in a boat that's being absolutely swamped by waves." Yeah. And he has the audacity to say, "Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith." Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm, and the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? Mm-hmm. And I think what Jesus was saying was, you didn't need to be afraid because I was still in the boat. Mm-hmm. You had the presence of the one that does command the winds and the waves. Abs- and so why are you afraid? Absolutely. You know, and the way that I just want to draw your attention, listeners, to the way that Russ is using scripture right now. Because Russ is pulling on an example from Scripture, and he's making an immediate application. And that's why the Scripture is supposed to be used. In Romans 15, it says, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Mm. So we look to God's presence with his people in troubled times. And the way that Scripture wants us to apply that to this current situation is to realize, oh, we are in troubled times. How has God worked in the past with the saints? And, and, and since we see him in his presence, especially in troubled times, we need to make the conclusion, oh, he's with us. 
And so maybe just a, a couple examples, a couple more examples from Scripture. I'm going to just jump in very quickly. Please do. I, I misspoke. I said Luke 5. It should have been Mark 4. I'm not sure why I said Luke 5. But well, scratch that off the list then. The Matthew 8 was right, but <laughs> when I cross-referenced, it should have said Mark 4. Sorry. Oh, now we're going to other places. Now we're going to other places. So if you remember, uh, Joseph was sold into slavery um, to Potiphar in Egypt, and it immediately says, so this is in Genesis 39, and it says in verse 1 that he'd been brought down to Egypt by Potiphar, and then in verse 2, the very first thing that we hear about Joseph's spiritual life is this, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. His presence was with him as he was in exile from his homeland as he was sold into slavery. And then when things got worse for Joseph, when Potiphar's wife lied about him touching her, then he was brought into the jail. And then immediately in verse 21, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. It's interesting that the Josh quoted from two times in that that chapter that talks about the Lord being with him. It actually is mentioned two additional times. So four times in one verse, two in moments where it seems like it's everything's going well, it says God is with him. Mm-hmm. And two times in, in moments where it seems like things are going poorly, it says God is with him. Yeah, I, so, I think there's a key theme that they wanted you to pick up in, in, in that chapter. Absolutely. When the scripture repeats things, that's the way of the scripture giving an exclamation point. Um, Russ, is there examples, another example that you have perhaps of... Well, I was just going to comment on that one because I think sometimes we look at it and say, in good times, God is with us. And then in bad times, God is not. And I love the example of Joseph in, in Genesis 39 because the, the overwhelming thought process of the writer is wait a minute, you don't get it. If you think God is only with you in the good times, then you've, you don't understand God. Yeah. God is with you in the good and in the bad. Um, this is why sometimes our language isn't overly helpful, that when we talk about um, something, quote unquote, that we have deemed positive, we say, well, God blessed us. And so the implication is that if things are, are bad, then God is no longer blessing us. Yes. And I think we just have to be careful with our language. I think the language of Scripture is that God's blessings, we might not always understand the package in which they come, but they're blessings nonetheless. Um, anything that draws us closer to God through Jesus Christ is a, is a blessing. Yes. And so that, that way, you know, you know, we could go through any of the trials of life and say, no, God really is with us and God is blessing us because through this, I have been able to, and this is really the the whole heartbeat of the book of Job. Job saying, yeah, I, I, I knew of God before all of this, but there's something unique about my experiences, all of the, the difficulties that he had that allowed him to get, a, if you will, a greater sense of God, um, uh, a greater view of him, a deeper experience of him at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. And... Than he didn't have in the beginning, even That's though correct. he was a righteous man. Yes, and he quote unquote had all of these external blessings. It was when he was stripped of this that he said, "Now I think I understand God more. Yeah, I really see Him." You know, the Puritan Thomas Brooks uh, wrote this essay, actually a sermon series one time called "The Signal Presence of God" or "Special Presence of God with His People in Their Greatest Troubles, Deepest Distresses, and Most Deadly Dangers." And that's that's essentially what we're saying here. I know from my own experience that as I look back at the darkest times in my life, 
although I would not want to live through them again because they were so painful. I not only experienced God's presence in those moments, I learned things about God and myself that I couldn't learn any other way. Mm-hmm. I, I know that, brother, you've had the same type of experience. I mean, you've you've talked on the show before about your your mom dying, and and what that meant to you as a Christian. Can you share that again? Uh, yeah, my mom died um, when I was ten. She was forty two. Um, there were five of us kids. I was the youngest at ten. My old, oldest brother was sixteen. So there are five of us between the ages of sixteen. And ten, and if you had asked any of my siblings or myself to talk about our our spiritual journey, um, I think all five of us would say that our mother having cancer and dying of cancer was instrumental in God drawing us to Himself. Um, That's an incredible statement. Now, now, would we say that we're happy that our mom died of cancer? Well, no. But would we say that God could even take circumstances that we wouldn't have chosen and use them and redeem them for um, his spiritual good? Yes, for sure. Um, Did we have a greater sense of his care of us as his people during that time? Yes, we would. Um, That doesn't mean that it wasn't hard. It doesn't mean that it didn't have a significant amount of sorrow, but it it was always it was sorrow that was re- laced with um, God's care and God's love and God's faithfulness and God's compassion, um, and I, I think unless you've really gone through that, I, I, I'm not sure that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if you have, you you understand that there's a book that, that has the title "Does God's Grace Grow Best in Winter," mm. um, and I think it does. Um, and I think that's what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 46. Yeah. Well, Ch- look, chaos is there, but God's presence is greater. Well, look at Jesus' uh, own desertion on the cross. My Father, or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, out of that uh, desert, troubled times came the greatest good that the world has ever seen, namely the redemption of the church. We hope that this series has been a blessing to you. We'll continue next time. See you later. 